He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. The second reading is taken from Acts for, uh, chapter 1, um, verses 1 to 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Anna. It's a short prayer. Uh, Father, take your word now. Burn it into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Strengthen and encourage our faith through your words. Amen. I was at uh, Lambeth Palace um, a few weeks ago, uh, a couple of months ago actually, um, and Archbishop Justin was there. He was uh, introducing, just giving an introductory talk uh, for the day where there was a gathering from all the uh, uh, southern dioceses in the Church of England, two or three representatives um, of sports chaplains, those involved in sports ministry, those who'd had their arms twisted behind their back by the bishop to be there, but actually uh, engaging in lots of various ways uh, in the church's mission to sport. And Archbishop Justin uh, just gave an introductory talk on that morning. And he was saying, in the midst of everything else, 
two things. Two things matter. Two things you are called to as Christians. Just these two. You probably need to be living on another planet if you don't know who's won the Premier League. (laughs) Because it's everywhere. Not just people, I hope you're getting it right. Because people everywhere, it's been across our news screens, it's been in the papers or what have you. Uh, The town has been painted that colour, the cathedral, nightclubs everywhere. Buns and sausages have been baked in this particular colour or what have you, which is blue. We're talking about Leicester City and their fans. Now, you know I do go on a bit about football, I know here. But those people, those fans, have been engaged in these two activities as well. And football fans up and down the country do. They have it tattooed on their heads. You've got grown men singing and crying. They're talking about it every moment of every day. They're wearing their scarves. What are these two things? Worship and witness. Worship and witness. Now I will come to the word of God in a minute. Because that's where we are taking our teaching from. And it's all there. Worship and witness. And I'm not standing here saying worship of Leicester City. Or worship of Leeds United or Crawley Town. Is necessarily what we should be about. But hey. Don't you know it? Those people are in love with their club, they're obsessed with their club, and they will let you know it. And it is true for Sunderland fans as well, who are still struggling. Whatever it may be, there's something about it. I'm not saying it's the calling on our lives, but there it is. Worship and witness. And the question is, you see, for every person living... Who or what is worth our allegiance and what can't you help telling others about? Because we know for sure where they're worshipping and what they can't help telling others about. And don't we have much more? And someone who is life-changing and life-transforming. Our calling is to worship and witness. And we get the basis for that in our two readings this morning, both written by Luke, some of Jesus' last words to his disciples. He's just been on the road to Emmaus in slightly disguised form, and now again he's with his disciples at another time, and he's come among them, And we read that then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name 
to all nations. And from the beginning of Acts. In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The basis for our call to worship and witness is the gospel. Who Christ is, what he has done. His suffering, his death for forgiveness and reconciliation. And yet one who is alive. Whoever lives to intercede for us, who is worthy of our worship, God amongst us. Now as I'm saying that and looking around, I know most, if not all, of you are seeking to follow Christ. And if you're here this morning and not sure, then do chat to me and others afterwards. For he is worthy of our worship and our following. And if that is true, then this is our calling. And it's very simple. We can think about church in so many ways. And we know church can involve voters and it can involve ceremony and it can involve meetings and it can involve doing this and doing that. Bottom line, your calling and mine to worship and to witness. God will be pleased if we're doing those two things. Worship. Verse uh, 52. So this slightly strange event of the ascension and, and Jesus being taken from their sight, enveloped with a cloud. And you can imagine what they're thinking here. Goodness me, he's gone once, now he's gone again. And he's saying, yeah, and you know, you're not going to see me again. He's taken from their midst. But the response is then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Our worship, which you and I know, is much more than a time on a Sunday, but not less as we gather and we worship in different shapes and forms. That's okay. But worship, as we were being reminded in our uh, series in Romans, is the offering of our whole lives and involving our whole life. And at the heart of that, because of who he is, Joy and praise and prayer. Let our worship be characterized by joy and hunger for God and to know his ways. But back to that first question, who or what is worth our allegiance? The call to worship is about our allegiance. 
Who is number one in our lives? The psalmist speaks of an undivided heart. Worship is about the dethroning of idols and other gods because we've met the one true living God. An undivided heart, which doesn't mean you don't take concern for your family or put all that you've got into your work or have interesting hobbies or enjoy doing lots of things. But don't let them take the place of the call of God on your life, first and foremost. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. We don't worship money, we don't worship houses, we don't worship people, we don't worship vicars. We worship the one true living God that affects every part of our life, the whole of our life. I was listening to Claudio Ranieri uh, last night, uh, you know, on the victory parade of of Leicester uh, and raising the trophy. uh, And then uh, Gary Lineker was interviewing him afterwards. He wasn't in his underpants. He's got to do that at some point, apparently, because Leicester have won the league. Put that aside. Sorry, I've given you a very bad image there. Let's leave that aside. He asked him one last question. He said, are these players going to stay with you? You know, Uh, You know, are you going to keep this team for next year? Uh, And uh, Ranieri replied, I hope so. He said, I've told them it will be good for them uh, to be here in this team and to enjoy the Champions League experience. I want to keep this team together for the next year. Then he said, but if any of those players don't want to be here, let them go and let them go quickly. Because I'm only interested in people who want to be part of this team. Now, I'm not suggesting that God says, clear off to us. He doesn't. God says, welcome and come on board. But he calls from us to have an undivided heart. As you enter into an interregnum, he wants you, as we've sung this morning, to be united in purpose, under him. And let him be the centre of your lives and your life together. I was watching a a programme again uh, uh, this week. It was something we'd recorded from a couple of weeks ago. It was a positive hour about the Church of England in this nation. It was showing where God is alive and active in the nightclubs, in the cities, amongst the poorest states or what have you. It wasn't without a critical critique, that's fine. But it was positive, it was showing God was real, God was alive. One of the people that was out there really serving amongst the poor said this, you know, I love people but I live for God. And in our worship we are still Not to be people pleasers, but to live for God. I love people, and we must love people, but let us live for God. You remember, I shared a few weeks ago, a few months ago, Simon and uh, Imran John, when they came back from Pakistan, 
after those atrocious bombings the previous year and this year. They said one thing about those Christians there in Pakistan who'd had devastating grief and immense persecution. This rang through to them. They love God more than they love their lives. They love God more than they love their lives. And very few of us are going to be asked to pay that price, probably. But that's the heart of worship, isn't it? We love God above men and above our life and above our family. And witness. We know quite well those words uh, uh, that Anna read to us from Acts. You know, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Did you notice as well in the gospel reading, Jesus said to his disciples, and you are witnesses of these things. The first disciples, the apostles, the believers, the first believers in that early church, they were witnesses of those things. But if you think about those who were gathered on the day of Pentecost, not all of those, I'm sure, would have met Jesus personally. And Jesus had said to Thomas, who had his doubts, and it's okay in our life to have our doubts, to struggle with God at times, with what you're playing at, where are you here, God? That can still be a response of worship as we give him honestly our pain and our suffering and what we're passing through. But he said to Thomas, you know, blessed are you who believe, you know, you've put your hands in my side and my wounds. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And that's you and me. Our calling is to worship in spirit and in truth, but to be his witnesses. What you have seen and heard, who the Lord is and what he has done, that is the calling of us all. Now before you might say, you know, but I haven't seen Jesus, I wasn't there, I didn't see that water turned into wine, I haven't seen 5,000 people fed, but God has encountered you and met with you and you have known the goodness and the love and the life and the transforming power of God if you haven't this morning let me tell you it's available he's available and you can experience it I'm not promising a life free of pain or hurt far from it but this is the God and all of us have seen and heard in our spirit, in our hearts, in the reality of what's happened in our lives. Let's remind ourselves we're called to be witnesses. Not theologians, not teachers necessarily, not prophets, not evangelists, not vicars, unless that is God's calling. But witnesses, and witnesses simply tell of what they've seen or heard. Or we bear character witness to somebody we know. And if you know Jesus, you can bear witness to him. In your weakness, in your failings, you can bear witness to him. The call is to the last and the least and the lost. 
Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. It's to the rich and to the poor. It's in every place, wherever you find yourself, wherever God's called you, whatever the cost. Hmm, think about that one. Whatever the cost. Meet them out in Pakistan, they'll tell you about that. But there can be other costs that all of us will bear. Maybe people will misunderstand you. Maybe people will make fun of you behind your back. Maybe people will give you a hard time. Maybe bearing witness to the call of Christ will have an impact on your family. But God knows, and God is with you in it. The power of testimony and your personality is really important to God. That's why he's got so many different witnesses. And that's why the Spirit will be poured out to live in you and me. Whatever our witness, let it always point to Jesus. Not how good the church is. Not how great the vicar is. Not how amazing the worship is. But how wonderful and loving and forgiving is Jesus. The one who can change your life. And the last thing just to say about the witness that I was thinking about was that, of course, a witness is never in a vacuum. So a witness always has to be amongst people, amongst others. You can pray in a quiet room, you can do spiritual warfare in a quiet room, you can speak to the heavenly forces, absolutely. But a witness must mean there are other people that are hearing or seeing something of Jesus through me and through you. It is all about people, because it's all about God who loves people and is your life and mine. These are our two callings in our nation and in this community to worship and witness. There's one more thing to close. The secret resource that Jesus speaks of. And we might share a bit more about next week. But in the readings we heard, we've been told, Jesus told his disciples, wait for, pray for, you'll be baptised, immersed, soaked in. The Baptists get it right here, rather than the Anglicans who sometimes sprinkle or what have you. Baptised, immersed, you'll receive power. The Father's gift, the Holy Spirit. That's our resource. You'll receive power to speak, to overcome fear, to live for Christ. Because as the young people say, is God in the house? Because God is in the house. Because God is in your house. Because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is for all.
He lives in you. God is in your house. To worship and to witness. It was probably J. John, it might not have been. One of his pithy words to preachers. Kiss. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. Don't complicate it. And the Christian life is not complicated. The call is to worship with everything you've got. To pray your heart out. And to witness. To not be ashamed of your Lord. That others might come to know him and love him. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit and help us. Amen.